Truth Espresso, episode 180. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. their friends, family, lurkers alike, <laughs> and foes too. We want to welcome you here to Truth Espresso, and we have another episode for you here today. Now, we would like to have been able to just plan something else to talk about because it would have been nice if this wasn't something to talk about, but we're going to address um, the recent uh, school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and you've probably heard about that if you've been keeping up with the news uh, this week, this last week, because on Tuesday, May 25th, a very gruesome, deadly shooting happened at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, and so we're going to talk about this tragedy and have some thoughts about it, have our ideas from the Word of God as to how we think we should deal with things like that. What are God's solutions to things apart from the fog and the smoke of it all? So here to discuss that is my sweet, beautiful co-host and wife, Chelsea. Welcome to Truth Espresso again. Thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, it's good to be here with you, babe. So on that fateful day, Tuesday, May 24th, we encounter an 18-year-old named Salvador Ramos. And we're going to look at a little timeline as to how the events transpired. And then we see that as details have been emerging about this timeline... There's been a lot of, you know, kind of politics about the situation and even, you know, like where police went wrong, too. So, babe, I'm wondering if before we get into the timeline that maybe we can just say something about just um, the families that are going through this oh, yes. tragedy. For sure. And yeah. Definitely our thoughts and our prayers are with the families of the 19 children and the two teachers who were killed, as well as the others who are injured as a result and recovering. Some were in critical condition, some are doing better. And yes, definitely our thoughts and prayers are with them and that we believe that they have the right to grieve and not be the center of attention and be in the middle of, you know, mudslinging and politics. You should be allowed to grieve, as you know any parent would do, over the death and injury of their children. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that uh, as some people have said, you know, stop with the politics. Let people grieve as they have the right to do. You know, yeah, and things, and just even the students that were at the school and saw this, they weren't hurt, but. Just being a part of that community and people in the community, too, that we should think about and pray for. Because I remember when the Columbine High School Mm, shooting happened, and that was part of the neighborhood I grew up in. Yeah. In the high school that I would have gone to if I wasn't homeschooled. Things like that just shakes up the community and it affects people. And so just, yeah, thinking about all the people that are affected by that. And yeah, the officers probably could have made different choices and decisions and that. Mm -hmm. But that's something that they're going to have to live with now, too. So I think that like our prayer and hope in this podcast is just talking about not like judging the situation, but being compassionate praying for like you said the families and the community there and that they're just bringing the message of hope too Mm, and okay how does god's word tell us we can respond i loved how you presented that at the beginning 
because we need God's word in yeah. this. And that is part of the reason we keep failing as a society is that mm. we have strayed away from his word. Yes, exactly. So you are, you know, like, why do things just seem to keep getting worse? Is it just because some words aren't written on papers to say certain little things that people can and can't do with products and stuff, you know, sold over the shelves? Or is it like, I mean, I don't want to use the some of the political terminologies about uh, structural or systemic, you know, stuff, but is there a <laughs> structural or systemic issue going on as to why, you know, why are there more and more people motivated to do stuff like this? What's the societal problem? <laughs> mm. Yeah, so we're going to get into timeline here of the events and as we've tried to piece some things together look at some articles just to get a little summary about this and so 18 year old salvador ramos uh he texted a girl or girlfriend uh who was living in europe he told her what he was planning to do and you know it's for especially kids in social media and stuff sometimes it's hard for them to tell based on words texted if it's really what someone's actually planning to do or if they're kind of joking and stuff but still you know we should think about things like that should be reported and yeah i might mention that later but he told this girl he knew that he was planning to shoot up a school so then I think if I remember is the next day after he did this, he texted her after he had shot his grandmother. So he shot his grandmother in the face and then he texted this girl that he just shot his grandmother and then he's going to go shoot a school. And I don't know what this girl did, if she didn't know what to do, or who knows, but this was right after 11 a.m. was when this happened. And the neighbor heard the shot, ran up, um, and then as he ran up to the house, he saw Ramos speeding away in his pickup truck. So Ramos's grandmother came up to him and begged him for help. So then he um, had to call the police or his wife did, I think it was, yeah. Then around 11.28 a.m., Ramos arrived at the school. He crashed his truck into a drainage ditch behind the school, and then he immediately jumped out of the passenger side of his pickup truck and carrying an AR-15 and a bunch of ammo. And then uh, two men who were by a neighboring funeral services business there, they saw him come out with a gun and stuff, and then he saw them, so he tried to shoot at them a few times that he missed, and then he started to head toward the school. There are more details in all this, but I try to get some of the salient points in this timeline. Around 11.33 a.m., Ramos entered the school, and there's a speculation and issues about that, like how did he just get into the school without much of a hitch there. But around 11.33, he entered the school, and then he quickly started shooting into two classrooms that are next to each other. 12.03 p.m., so about a half hour later, the first 911 call now, other articles than the one that I'll post in the show notes that I read could have mentioned calls earlier, but this one, the first 911 call from inside the classrooms came, and then around 12.21 p.m., it mentions that police were kind of in the hallway, but they couldn't enter the classrooms because the doors were locked and they needed an employee to give them the keys to get in. <laughs> That's what the timeline says. And then 12.47 p.m., there was a series of 911 calls from mostly uh, children there. And th so the final one came at 12.47 p.m. from inside the classrooms. And then 12.50 p.m., a Border Patrol officer finally got in, shot, and killed Ramos. So then that was officially the end of the tragedy at that point as far as any more deaths going to happen from this guy. So that was the timeline of the school <laughs> that was going on at the school or inside the school. <laughs> and then we've got 
Now, information keeps coming out as to what was going on outside the school that has kind of helped us understand some of the dynamic here. Could things have been prevented earlier? Were police doing what they could? Could they have done things earlier? And yeah, so without trying to pass too much judgment and still waiting for more information to come out, but we see reports, there's been videos showing parents desperate to get in there, and there's uh, basically a time anywhere from 40 minutes to a little over an hour when police were there at the entrance uh, to the school. Now, at least two officers had went into the school. Ramos shot them and kind of injured them. But, you know, there were the 19 police in the hallway. There were police outside the school at the entrance. But we just wonder, and there's a lot of questions going on. The police are being questioned now and answering reporters about, you know, if they mishandled it. And yeah, some of those details we can talk about, especially the parents dealing with the police outside the school. And yeah, so there's those kinds of questions there and maybe more information will surface. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it was not a good situation. Perhaps things could have been done so that fewer people got killed or injured or some who were injured didn't die that they could have been helped earlier. Well, you think, sweetheart, do you have have anything uh, to add to the timeline there? (laughs) Yeah, so I think like you said, it's kind of hard at this point to piece together some of it because, like you said, there's more information, more details that keep coming out. A couple of details that I thought were interesting that could have potentially helped prevent some of this was that the shooter was actually starting off in the parking lot hiding Mm. behind vehicles and shooting at the school yeah and so he was outside for i think one timeline said for about 18 minutes Mm. with that and then they have surveillance videos showing the shooter entering the school through a back door that was propped open oh yeah And I know I didn't get a chance to verify this, but I know my mom was mentioning that a lot of the schools that have been targets for shooters, that they do enter a door that wasn't locked or that was propped open. So it just seems like, okay, this is a good, I mean, an unfortunate event, but it needs to be a reminder that we have got to take safety seriously. Mm, And I think so many times in I know this was a small town, a smaller community. A lot of times people are like, oh, this is a small area. We know most people. And they feel more laid back about some Mm. of the safety measures. And that's just not true. Anything can happen anywhere. Mm. And we have got to take it seriously. Mm. Yeah, definitely, sweetheart. I noticed that as Ramos had texted to his girlfriend that he was going to go shoot up a school, why did he want to do that? Like, why go shoot up a school? Especially, so someone who's suicidal, like, why is it often a school that they want to go to? Because from what I understand, Ramos was not a student at this particular school. And so he knew where a school was. He wanted to go there. So why did he, if he was wanting to kill people, why did he want to go to a school? And that's schools seem to be places where shooters want to go. And we need to think and ask ourselves the questions, why? Well, yeah, I mean, we know that if they want to kill people, there's a lot of people at a school. But there are other places where you might see just as many people that don't seem to be targets of this kind of thing. And that also raises questions because as we get into some of the issues about these school shootings, just what attracts people to schools to shoot (laughs) and why do they think it's something they can shoot up? (laughs) So I found this interesting article. I mean, they're saying that this wasn't related, but the timeline, (laughs) we'll see. But okay, so the article was saying that there were two teenagers, 13 and 14 years old, that were arrested back in 2018, Hmm. so four years ago, because in Uvalde, Texas, so the same city there, Hmm. because they were planning a repeat Columbine high Hmm. school shooting at a school. It wasn't the school that this happened at, 
but they were planning to do it on the anniversary of Columbine. And thankfully, that information got to the police, and those teens were arrested and sent to juvenile detention. Mm. Because it was juvenile, they're not allowed to release names or if they were released at some point. And then it just seems interesting that, okay, that was four years ago. The ages of those boys, one of them could have been 18. Mm. It could have been this kid who did this. But anyways, there were other instances where there was something being plotted. They were talking about shooting up a school. They had diaries. They were even calling themselves after the name of the Columbine High Mm. School shooters. And that was great that people were alert and jumped right on this and were able to prevent any shooting at that time. So I think, like you mentioned, there were some warning signs Mm. in the situation, and it just seems like some people are just so lax about it, and we can't be like that. If people, that's not something to joke around about, that Mm. is something to take seriously. And if someone is joking around about it, they need to know that that's serious. You mm. don't joke like that, even if it means a night in the mm. jail cell, because that is not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Good thoughts there. So you are like, as we talk about solutions, you know, these <laughs> often some of these things are, there are warning signs beforehand, but people, yeah, don't heed them or they're thinking so much about like people expressing themselves. There's so much emphasis now on people expressing themselves and expressing their emotions in a way like not to get mental health and counseling, but expressing themselves in ways where they want to hurt other people and stuff like that. And it's just like, they just need to, you know, they just need to let it out or they just need to figure out what their true identity is and stuff like that. But so now some other things that uh, to note about what's coming out, some of the details coming out. So outside the school at the entrance during the 40 minutes to an hour that the shooter is in this classrooms, there were shots fired We learn from reports and from some videos and testimonies of some of the parents of the children there that parents were shouting at police, you know, get in there, you know, save the children. But the police there were basically preventing parents like this is a crime scene, you know, you're not allowed in here. And parents, knowing that their children are in grave danger there, want to get them by any means possible. They want to protect them. They want to rescue them. Just think of, like, say, the fire department uh, blocking a building, you know, while the fire's raging and no one's going in to put the fire out. And But you know that there are plenty of people in there, like, who's going to go rescue them? And yet, if the parents see, you know, that the firemen are not going in there, putting it out, or trying to go in and rescue, that well, they're going to do that. They want to get their children out, but they're being prevented. So in this case, the police are just seemingly not going in there and not letting the parents do the job either. So um, police reportedly handcuffed a mom who was desperate to go in there. She was like, okay, well, they're not going to do it. She wanted to go in and resist them. And then they handcuffed her. And then so she tried to calm down and basically tell them, you know, she's okay. And once they released her from the handcuffs, then she went out of the away from the crowd to kind of act nonchalant about it. And but the reason for getting away from the crowd was to get in another way so once she got away from the crowd and away from the immediate grasp of the police then she quickly you know climbed over the fence ran into the school and found her two children and brought them out of the school so i don't know if her children were in a different classroom because the school was under lockdown so no one was allowed to like run around and leave they had to stay hunkered where they're at but she probably knew where what classroom her kids would be in so she went into the school got her kids and came out (laughs) yeah so don't mess with mama bear (laughs) i'd say here yeah there are other reports of several dads who police pepper sprayed them or reports of parents being tased because they weren't cooperating but you know you got to think about it like (laughs) 
<laughs> you're a parent. You don't want your child to die. Someone has got to do the job. And if the police aren't doing it, you want to do it. And if the police are going to try to stop you, you're going to find another way because as a parent or even as a police officer, what's your job? But, uh, you know, as the police, their motto is to protect and to serve. The parent's job is to raise their children and protect them. And you'd rather you die and your children live than your children die and you live. If there's any way possible that you can save your children, there's nothing crazy about these parents. This is the nature of a parent. <laughs> and so, yeah. So if the police in this case are still, as I said, there's still details coming out about this. Like, were there orders to certain police, like the ones on the inside, what they should do in the hallway, what they should do, the ones on the outside, what they should do. Perhaps some police were obeying orders from higher ups and police that's in their nature to obey orders too. And, you know, if things seem confusing, they're just like, well, my superior knows better than me who knows you know police in this instance have been accused of being cowards as i said are trying not to pass judgment here as we're waiting for more information to come out but what we can do is to understand why the parents did what they did and who's going to blame this brave mother who ran into a fatal situation and came out with her children because she had no idea if the shooter was going to go from classroom to classroom and eventually get her children and so, you know, who's going to blame her? She she should be praised for what she did. <laughs> I think it was interesting to read and listen to an interview with the sheriff, actually, of our county here. Oh, yeah. But he was one of the response deputies to the Columbine shooting back in 99. Mm. And he said what they learned about tactics with active school shootings mm. actually changed how they train officers in Colorado here. And before, he said, like, what they did with Columbine was when there was an active shooter, you established a perimeter mm -hmm. and you would wait for a SWAT to get there. Mm -hmm. And there was all these different things that kind of had to fall into place. Mm -hmm. And so what happened, unfortunately, with Columbine was that police didn't enter the building for the one article I saw said 40 minutes, but I was thinking that it was longer than that. Mm. And there were possibly some of the deaths were because it was delayed. They could have gotten help sooner mm. and not yeah. have bled to death, for yeah. example. And so unfortunately, because of that delay, there were probably were more casualties. Not saying that mm -hmm. you can prevent a fatal shot 100% if you get help right away. But mm. So Tony Spurlock, the sheriff here, said that now what they do is they actually train the deputies that if there's an active shooter, whoever's first on the scene, they go in. Because mm, yeah. whoever can stop that shooter yeah. the fastest, yeah. you prevent the most deaths and you prevent the most tragedy. Yeah. And he said like they actually do training times mm. and their officers all know that's what you do. You don't wait for backup. The first one on the scene goes in and you try and take down that shooter. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, the people in Texas, they're not like that. So I think they are doing that mm. basic tactic that we did back in 99, mm. <laughs> 23 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That they're waiting for equipment to come. They're waiting for other personnel to come. Mm. And all that waiting time... That's one guy in there. He mm. was barricaded behind a door. You can kick down or shoot down or something. Mm. You don't have to have a key to unlock it. Yeah. You can break a window from the other side. Like there's so many ways yeah. to enter and confront this one shooter. Mm. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> it might be the loss of an officer, mm. but that's what the yeah. officers are trained that's, for. They're trained yeah. in the line of duty. And that's why we need to respect them too, because respecting the officers and cops, because they are saying, I'm willing to put my life on the line to protect you. And then we're saying, oh, wait, we're not going to respect you. And now the officers, I feel like they're in this place of like, okay, do we do it? We're not really. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I just. Yeah. I know. It's, it's a little crazy. It's yeah, it's definitely crazy. And it's like, I also want to say like, okay, you know, 
when you're in these situations, you know, the fight or flight, you know, your brain may not, you know, some people can undergo like paralysis, you know, I don't want to be an armchair quarterback, an armchair police officer, an armchair tactical trainer, something like that, you know, to be able to like criticize people when I'm not, myself haven't been in that situation. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, at some point, like an intuition, you know, you would think, okay, I know there's been reports that maybe, you know, like people thought some of the cops were just scared of dying or something. And yes, <laughs> who wants to just die? Who knows what it's going to feel like? Who knows, you know, what kind of pain you're, you can experience. But yeah, I mean, that. but that's the job of a police officer. That's what they sign up for. That's what they train for. So, I mean, there's that issue. And yeah, there's also the issue of like, well, they're waiting for, you know, some kind of tactical shield so that they can protect themselves as they barge in. Yeah, you mentioned that, okay, the doors are locked, but there's other ways to get in, break the door down. I mean, I know that there's the fear of, well, if I kick at the door and don't break it down, would that make the shooter react in an undesirable way if something's contained? But, you know, obviously the shooter was had been shooting and hitting people, so yeah. But somehow there's, the <laughs> National Guard or yeah, the Border Guard the border, was able to do that. yeah. So somehow the one border patrol guy, you know, which that's not their job. Their job is to protect the border, not to protect schools, you know, but it took a border patrol, you know, officer actually to take out the shooter and the local police there were not somehow couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of questions that we hope that in time, you know, as more details come out that if officers if there's a way to know what was in the officers minds if they were if the higher ups are at fault that that's dealt with whether someone needs to lose a job whether someone needs to you know have a training protocol whatever the case you know it's it seems strange that you have so many officers 19 or so in the hallway and you know no one could enter the rooms because they were locked you know I, i'm saying i'm not trying to pass judgment just trying to figure things out but it's strange and lots of questions are raised and we pray that they'll be answered pretty soon you know especially for the benefit of these parents and especially for officers if they just didn't do the right thing knowing that they didn't do the right thing i know that for their sakes it's going to be very difficult to live the rest of their lives knowing that children died <laughs> and to, you know how can they look those parents in the face and tell them you know knowing i didn't do what i was supposed to do but look at the sheriff that I pointed out earlier, Tony Spurlock from the Columbine situation. That was a horrible tragedy, like one of the first mm. mass school shootings like that. And instead of like that, you know, knocking him down and him being like, oh, I'm a failure as an officer. Mm. He took that situation and yeah. he's like, wait a minute. How do we make this better? Yeah. There has to be a better way to approach this. Yes. And he does one-on-one -on -one training mm. with the officers to make sure they know what to do and they're prepared to do it. And I think that's, I'm hoping that that's what comes out of this for the officers, that mm. yeah. they don't feel yeah. hopeless from oh, it, yeah. but that they see this, yes, it is unfortunate. It's a tragedy. There should have been different decisions made. But if they can learn from mm. this, yes. then that's what counts. And I think mm. we just need to make it better. Yeah. If we make it worse, then that's where the tragedy mm. is not going to feel <laughs> like <laughs> a yeah, I don't know, like a total loss or like a yes. yeah, like okay, yeah, you didn't stand up for mm. what happened there. Hey, I'm Daryl, and I'm here with my wife, Karen. What's up? And we're the hosts of the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all ask, what are we even doing here? We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. 
So what are some of the responses that oh. we have seen? Oh, yeah. Like, especially the politics that have come up as a result. Yikes. Because, yeah, right after this, there are people who just want to throw out their kind of canned political responses and stuff, you know, we need more gun control and so on. But I'd see that. I'd see comments and articles or social media, people yelling that they need, you know, okay, we just you know, when are we finally going to get more gun control, you know, and blaming Republicans or something like it's their fault and stuff. And then other people replying saying, you know, like, just can we please knock off the politics? Can we please stop looking for political opportunities and talking points and just let these parents grieve before anything at all? You know, we need to let people grieve, you know, like if you lost your child in something like this, would you be just immediately, you know, pulling the microphone and talking about the political solution or would you need time to grieve, you know, because, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people, everything is politics. And so when tragedy and stuff like this happens, it's because it's always some political thing. It's always someone's fault because they didn't pass certain laws or such. But yeah, <laughs> political responses. So one political response I want to look at before we get into the obvious ones is <laughs> to turn the situation into other political events. So here's the political response. Like, is every murder a reminder of George Floyd? <laughs> and yeah, so in light of this, former President Barack Obama tweeted, of course, if you just read it and you're not thinking about it, it's like, yeah, he's giving his um, comfort to the people there uh, who underwent this event, but he had a, a long enough tweet, but only the first part of it, the first part of a sentence was about the event and the rest became about George Floyd. And so here's what Obama tweeted. He said, quote, as we grieve the children of Uvalde today, comma, that's it. We should take time to recognize that two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer. His killing stays with us all to this day, especially those who loved him, unquote. It's like, wait, what are we talking about here? So, like, think of a parent reading this, like, as you grieve the loss of your child, you should take time to think about that two years ago, George Floyd died under the knee of an officer and just compare your child to George Floyd. <laughs> like, no, you need time. You don't need to take time and remember that you need to grieve the loss of your child from a maniac shooter. Yeah, so George Floyd was not a school child who got shot by a maniac with an AR-15. George Floyd had his issues. He was essentially a criminal, as as mm -hmm. we found out. You know, he did, um, you know, abuse a woman. He counterfeited money, you know, several misdemeanors and so on. Like, he was on fentanyl. You know, so he was a drug addict. He did do violence to a woman. So he wasn't an innocent child who got killed by a gun. Yeah, so whatever you think of George Floyd, or, you know, and what happened there, I could even say that he was unjustly killed. But still, you don't take time to think of George Floyd when you're mourning the death of your child by a maniac shooter at a school. The children were innocent. What, 11, 10, 11 years old, many of them? You know, like, <laughs> I have to say to President Obama, how dare you compare them to George Floyd and how dare you redirect such a tragedy of 21 people killed to make us think about this one guy who wasn't innocent and his death there. <laughs> Yeah, there's politics coming up in this situation because, yeah, remember around Christmas time last year, there was that killing, and I forget the name of the place, where people were killed by a, a, 
a guy who, who drove his vehicle and killed people, including, a, a, I think it was an eight-year-old child. And the news didn't really cover it much, just, you know, because of the skin color of the killer there. But it also goes to show you that you could do mass murder without a gun, too. But because of politics, that situation didn't get the attention it needed, and the people who needed to grieve it didn't get much help. And of course, recently, uh, President Biden would be asked why he never went there to visit, just like he had been to other places to visit to remember mass killings that happened there, but... It seemed like the left, they don't want to think that these people who are killed deserve anything, any remembrance, any grief at all, because the murderer was African-American. And so any reason he did to drive his vehicle and kill people with it, you know, is politically justified and anyone who was killed doesn't deserve to be thought about and grieved with because especially if because his reason to kill was because he hated white people and yeah so (laughs) when you turn murder into politics that's what happens and then yeah we can't even think about what happened here with innocent school children without thinking about george floyd so thank you former president obama for making it political (laughs) sarcastically yes (laughs) yeah So I'll tell you a good story right quick. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because of the whole political side of it and wanting to implement more gun control and stuff. So this story. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, another political thing has been to ask the question, is the Second Amendment outdated? (laughs) And so I think what you're going to bring up shows that it definitely isn't. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. So Wednesday, the day after the school shooting... May 25th in West Virginia, there was an apartment complex that they were having a graduation party and a... Like high school graduation? I think so. Yeah. Because it was younger people, yeah. And a guy came by and I guess he was driving recklessly through the apartment complex earlier and was stopped by police officers and they told him, you know, this is an apartment complex, there's children around here. And so he took off and then he came back later that evening and there was the graduation party going on and he pulled out his AR-15 and was having it pointed. And I'm not sure if a couple rounds actually got fired off first, but he didn't hit anyone. And a woman there who was actually concealed carrying legally and everything she pulled out her weapon and shot and killed fatal i mean it ended up fatally killing this guy Mm -hmm. she shot him a few times i'm not sure how many but so no one was injured like no innocent people were killed because this brave woman Mm -hmm. was concealed carrying she Mm -hmm. did everything by law and was able to protect against a criminal who isn't going to abide by laws and will have a gun no matter what we are able to have to protect and defend us and our children and our family. So, yes, that was a cool story. And it's interesting when you listen to the news media talk about this one, they're kind of surprised. Like, here's a case where a gun actually helped prevent injuries. Yeah, (laughs) and it does happen. It's happened quite a few times. You know, yeah. that's that's what they're for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The criminals, these mass murderers, they go for places where they know they're not going to be challenged. Yeah. Schools. Right. Yeah. That's churches. What say. This, this happened. Yep. And this happened at a high school graduation party, but it wasn't in a school. It wasn't hosted by the school, right? No, it wasn't it was under in a school rules under the, you know, gun-free school zones law, you know. So why did Ramos here say that he's going to go shoot up a school? Well, because he thought, my life is not worth living, so I want to take as many innocent people with me. So knowing that the likelihood of taking out a bunch of innocent children can happen before you're finally taken down, that's why he's going to do that. Now, like, how many people do you hear of going to say, oh, I 
want to kill a bunch of people, let me walk into a police station or let me walk into a gun show where you have thousands of guns. Like, hey, look at all the guns you could use to do something, you know. Well, no, look at all the guns that are available for people to do something to you. And so, yeah, in this case, when it wasn't at a school, it wasn't a gun-free zone and you had a mom lawfully caring, she prevented deaths. You know, he was the only death that happened to that event. And so, yeah, that's why. (laughs) So if we can make schools like that high school graduation where people could carry, then maybe we wouldn't have schools be ground zero for these type of events. I mean, that's one part of a solution. So pertaining to this particular shooting, so the next day, Wednesday, May 25th, Robert O'Rourke, you know, one of the candidates for governor of Texas right now, also nicknamed Beto, and I've seen people nickname him Beta O'Rourke, you know, if you've heard of alpha males and beta males and stuff, that's the whole point of that. But <laughs> So Beto O'Rourke, as he's known, while Governor Greg Abbott was giving the kind of update on the event and like a heartfelt eulogy for those who died, and he's talking about we need to focus on mental health and getting access to that and stuff, Beto O'Rourke started shouting, you know, accusing Governor Abbott of doing nothing about the problem and that ultimately the event is his fault. You know, it's all your fault and you're doing nothing about it because, you know, in his ideal world, we need more gun control. And if we had more gun control laws, then things like this would not have happened. So Uvalde Mayor Don McLaughlin in this event was repeatedly shouting at Beto O'Rourke that he was out of line and ultimately they ended up escorting him out. But, you know, there's more politics about this. Like it's all about we need to repeal the Second Amendment or we need to just ignore the plain text of the Second Amendment and just do more gun control, whatever that means, you know. And of course, the complaints are the fact that this 18 year old was able to buy ar-15s well yeah if he couldn't buy at one place he'd buy it somewhere else you know he'd buy it from the black market you know if someone wants it he's gonna get it like (laughs) if someone wants to kill people he's gonna find a way to kill them i mean last i checked murder is illegal but people still do it anyway so making something illegal isn't gonna stop people isn't gonna stop an outlaw from doing it So why would making certain guns, because there's cries of, well, we need to ban so-called assault rifles like the AR-15, you know, well, people murder with handguns, pistols too. And if making certain guns illegal would not prevent the use of other guns, so I know some people would just say, well, we just need to ban guns from the citizenry. But, you know, if someone wants to kill a lot of people, he will find a way. People can find ways to, you know, we have people bombing buildings, blowing up things, Molotov cocktails we heard about, you know, burning buildings. You can mix things together and make bombs. You know, if people want to kill a lot of people, they're going to find a way. And if you take defense away from law-abiding people, then you're, you know, you're going to see school shootings and you're going to see other even more shootings <laughs> and you're going to see more violence and more casualties and there'll be fewer of the events like we talked about with the high school graduation and the you know mama bear another instance of a mama bear there well who took out the shooter before he was able to kill anyone so the solution isn't thinking that somehow writing some words on a piece of paper that you could actually prevent selling guns to 18 year olds well they'll find them some way but law-abiding people who are trying to obey the law they're going to be defenseless so outlawing the guns is not going (laughs) to keep them out of the hands of the outlaws but we want more guns in the hands of law-abiding people so they can defend and take out people like this i also want to mention history because as we're talking about school shootings and the gun-free school zones wasn't that a law in the 1990s that got passed and we've seen school shootings blossom since then 
gun-free school zones. Well, guns have been available in the United States since the United States inception, and schools have been around just as long, too. We have schoolhouses and so on. Young teenage boys used to learn how to use muskets and shotguns to help with hunting and defense, but it seems that school shootings haven't become a thing like they are until the 1990s. We don't hear about frequent school shootings until within the last 30 to 40 years. And 100 years ago, boys weren't bringing their muskets and shotguns to the schoolhouses to shoot their classmates. But they knew how to use them. They had access to them. So what changed? That's the question we need to ask. Why are people willing to kill other people now, especially young people? The 18-year-olds, why are they so determined to shoot people compared to 100 years ago? That's the question we need to ask, not why were they able to buy an AR-15? Well, the question is, why would they want to use an AR-15 to shoot people? They even, like that case I mentioned earlier, four years ago, that it was a 14 and 15 year old Mm, that were, they were planning to go steal the guns from their neighbor's house Mm, and they already had the supplies to make the pipe bombs and Mm. stuff. So it's like you said, people have the way to get their hands on doing mass destruction and killing people. And so the gun control is not the solution (laughs) and it's just going to cause more harm in the long run. Mm. By disarming people who could do something. And yeah, as we mentioned, as information's coming out to discern what really happened with the police there, we can still ask the question, well, wait a minute, if we're not supposed to have access to guns and we're supposed to depend entirely on police to protect us, what about the children in the school there in this town and the parents who themselves were desperate even to go in there and save their own children, but the police prevented them? This particular shooting allows us to ask the question about that. So what about the Second Amendment? What about repealing that? Is that the solution? Well, if we have to depend on you know a class of professionals who can have guns there, what if they don't do their job? We're just left completely defenseless, not just at schools, but elsewhere, churches, stadiums, our own homes. Yeah, yes, it's a cruel world. People murder people. So you need to fight fire with fire. If they, you know, people use guns because they, it's an easier way to murder. Well, it's also an easier way to defend against murders. So if law-abiding people can't match force with force, then they're helpless there. And if we can't ultimately depend on the police to be a perfect profession at all times, and, you know, it could take 40 minutes or longer, you know, and you hope that you don't get shot until then, that's what the Second Amendment's for. That's one of the reasons. Now, I want to make sure we know that the original reason for the Second Amendment is to protect ourselves against the tyranny of government. And that is a very, very important point. We can't lose that. It was never, you know, the Second Amendment wasn't, well, you never know, a criminal might go into your home, you know, so you need a gun to protect yourself. That's a byproduct of the Second Amendment that is very important to remember. And the Second Amendment, the intention was to protect ourselves from the tyranny of the government because you can't trust the government. And we need to remember that's why it's there. And then all these blessings flow from it, too. You can protect yourself against criminals and so on. Now, this is one of the technical things. This is one of the tech. We're talking about technical solution here. But now we should ask ourselves, yeah, really get into the question. Why are there more and more people, more and more young people willing to shoot and kill innocent young children? Why? Like, just why is this happening more and more? Is it because, oh, I can get an AR-15 that makes me just drool like I want to shoot people with it. And otherwise, I'd have no propensity to kill someone except that there's this tool, this cool tool I want to use. No, Ramos wanted to kill people and then that was the tool to carry it out. But as we said, he could have found another tool. But why did he want to kill people? 
this is the root of the problem we really want to get into. We want fewer people in the world who desire to kill people, who desire to commit suicide and kill people in the process. So why? You know, that's what we need to answer. So I know, hopefully this isn't (laughs) getting on my soapbox here again, but... Just because we have mentioned it quite a few times in this episode, (laughs) the natural mama bear comes out and the mom jumping over fences, running into an active shooter Mm. in a classroom to protect her children. That is what God Mm. instilled in us. He instilled Mm -hmm. that in women. And I think women, it's different because we carry the babies. Mm. There's a unique bond with moms and their children. And that's how God designed it. And God has the father, the dad, to be the protector of the family because it's easier for him to evaluate the situation and look at the logistics of it and see what I can do. They're stronger. I mean, there's just so much uniqueness in how God made us as Mm. man, as woman, as husband and wife and father, mother. But okay, all of this, and we're, I don't want to diminish this, it is very heartbreaking, very sad that these 19 innocent children were killed that day. But if we think about Mm. abortion, this is my heart. (laughs) (laughs) There are 4,000 innocent babies killed every day through abortion. And yes, they don't make the news because it's not an active shooter at a school These are moms, women going into clinics, saying to the doctor, giving the doctor permission to kill their baby. Mm, And I think that, I mean, when we get into the root of the problem next week, we'll see Mm. that it addresses all of this. We have no value, no respect for life. Mm -hmm. And if we would even open up our eyes to what's going on every single day, Mm. 4,000 times a day. That's atrocious. And Christians don't even blink an eye at it now. I'm just yeah. appalled by it. Oh, yeah. Damn. I'm like, <laughs> Preach it, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. I say the same mindset for why we allow that kind of thing with abortions and a disrespect for life there is the same mindset that ultimately leads to the situations, the social situations where you have these children, these 18-year-olds who, you know, don't value life, are depressed, and so on. And so, yeah. Next week, when we talk about the real solution, the biblical ramifications, the biblical solution to this and the systemic problems of society that the Bible can help us to understand, yeah, there is a link to abortion and stuff and school shootings. Can we end on a verse? (laughs) Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I just thought this verse sounded good because just wanting to yeah, recognize that there are people grieving and Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. I'll just read the last part of it, but it says, "And the God of love and peace shall be with you." And earlier in the verse, he's just talking about being of good comfort, mm-hmm. and that we have a God who gives us comfort when we are hurting and when tragedy strikes. God is the God of peace. He gives us peace. And for anyone who does not know God, then you're not going to know that peace. And we just pray that you will come to know Christ as your Savior and that you can know that peace. You can know hope. You can know his comfort. And next week, we'll talk about the question, and tragedy always comes up, how could a loving God let this happen? Mm. Well, that's not the actual issue. And Mm. I know we'll address that a little bit next week, but just know that God is the God. He created good. He did not sin came in, and I don't want to spoil next week, but (laughs) I just pray that you will have a heart for God and that he can give you comfort because that's the only place we can get true comfort is from him. Amen, sweetheart. I can't add any more to that. And so that's a good way to end this episode. And so definitely stay tuned uh, next week for the next episode of Truth Espresso. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. 
If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.